Good evening, church. Praise the Lord. Welcome to Wednesday evening Bible study, midweek service. Welcome to online congregation. We're so grateful to have you with us. Joe, I sure hope you're listening. It was wonderful to hear your voice yesterday, brother. Whenever I come to speak here in the pulpit, the Lord gives me something to talk about. I had scriptures in, uh, on, on paper for since Saturday. And then this song ran through my head yesterday. And it ran through my head all day yesterday. And I was like, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? There's a woman by the name of Julia Ward Howe. She was a writer and a poet. Um, she was uh, uh, with us in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, she wrote a song that everybody here knows. And that chorus to that song was in my head all day yesterday. The theme for this uh, week in our uh, morning uh, praise time is love. And we know from, uh, from Proverbs, excuse me, I'm sorry. In First John, John told us God is love. Plain and simple. God is love. This morning, uh, our speaker at 5 a.m. Um, said sort of, I think, uh, prophetically, like there's just so much to talk about, about God's love. And what God gave me to think about today, for you to consider today, is uh, really interesting. Um, he brought me to Hebrews um, uh, and uh, refreshed my mind on a familiar story. Um, Esau and Jacob wrestled over the blessing from his father, from their father. And uh, Esau didn't respect it. In fact, the final verse of that story says, thus Esau despised his birthright. He rejected God. He refused to be the head of the household and be the priest of the household. He committed grave sin against God. He committed apostasy. And so you're wondering, what does that have to do with love? Hebrews uh, 12, verse 3 reads, For consider him that endured much contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Paul's given us a warning. In verse 5, it reads, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Paul's reminding us. In verse 10, it reads, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Paul's made a comparison between how parents chastise their children and how the Hebrews were about to lose the blessing that they had just received because they had let go. They had let go of that love. And then verses 16 and 17 read, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know now how afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, 
for he had found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Esau sought repentance without a sincere heart. God rejected his request for repentance. Sometimes we make decisions, sometimes we say things, sometimes our actions are unable to be resolved here on earth. We may request the repentance, but ultimately there's sometimes penalties and there's sometimes consequences that cannot be resolved here on earth. God's provided mercy and he's provided grace. I want to go to uh, James 5, 5 and 19 reads, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. God's included us in that process. He's allowed us to take part in helping others to find that place of reconciliation, that place of repentance. And I'm going to finish with one final scripture in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3, 19 and 20 read, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. God loves us so much that we can commit that ugliness of sin called apostasy, sometimes even being blasphemous with the things that we might say, and he's standing at the door and waiting. He's ready for us when we are. Sometimes the consequences are there and they go with you for the rest of your earthly journey, but he's waiting for you to redeem you. That's how much he loves us. And so the song that was in my head all day yesterday has the chorus, glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I didn't know the words to that song. The name of that song is called the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Every time I hear that, my heart swells with a national pride because that was a song that founded our country. And in the fifth stanza, the very end of that song, it reads this. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. While God is marching on, glory, glory, hallelujah. This woman wrote a song that was the, 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 it was at the heart of the soldiers who were fighting for our nation to be able to establish the United States as it is today. God gave her that encouragement. God gave her the words. And then here we stand able to have what we have because God so loved us. Join me today in praying for us to be able to love God like he has loved us. Let's pray for the man of God who's going to join us today and offer the word tonight.
Almighty Father, we are so grateful, Father God, for your goodness and your love. We are so grateful, Father God, for the righteousness, Lord God, who you are. We are so humbled, Lord God, that you would share your holiness, Lord God, that you would allow us, Lord, to be able, Father, to walk with you, Father God, to comprehend your word, Father God, to be, Lord God, in your presence, Father. Who are we, Lord God, to be able to know your word, Father, and to speak to others, Father God, to be that encouragement, Father? We are so grateful, Lord God, that you called us away from the dark places where we once were, Father, and call us into the light, Lord God, to enlighten us, Lord God, to allow our minds to be filled with you, Lord God, for our hearts, Lord God, to have compassion, Lord, to be able, Lord God, to oh, share you, Lord, with whomever, Lord, you intersect us with each day. We are grateful, Father, to gather here, Lord God. You've gifted us this sanctuary, Father. You've given us this permanent address, Lord. We have, Lord God, space now, and we have, Father, opportunities to launch ministries out into the community, Father God, and be a blessing to those, Lord, who you have sent us to, Lord. We are grateful, Father God, that you have opened our hearts and our minds. You have us focused, Lord God, to know, to understand, Lord God, that you are always waiting, Lord. You, Lord God, are available to us whenever, Father, we reach out and call to you. Whether we have committed something, Father, as heinous, Lord God, as what Esau did, Father. Whether we have committed something, Father, as simple, Lord God, as a... As a as a mistruth, Lord God. Sin is sin. And you call us, Lord God, to come towards you, Lord God, towards that perfection that you are. You alone, Lord God, our Lord. You alone, Lord God, are worthy of the words that we speak tonight. We ask you, Lord, that you would open our ears and open our minds, Lord God. That you will work, Lord God, in the heart of the man of God who will come now, Lord God, and offer the word to us, Lord. We are so grateful, Father God, that you have called us, Lord God, to be part of this mission, Lord God, part of the ministry, Lord God, that is Christ-centered church, Lord, that you would use us, Lord, as you have, Lord God. Circumcise our hearts one more time, Lord God. Remove anything, Lord God, that is in the way that will impede, Lord God, the word from penetrating, Father God, that our ears will be open to hear, Father, that our minds will be ready, Lord God, to do with the word that you have given us to use, Lord. You are the Lord, you are Almighty Father, you are hope, Lord. We pray these things by the power that is found in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray these things by the authority, Lord God, that is found in your word. And all these things we pray in your mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. You may be seated. Good night. Praise the Lord. It's, it's cold outside. Or it's only me alone. <laughs> okay. Welcome to another um, Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study.
want to greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ. Those members online, um, guests online, I want to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for tuning in. We thank you for spending the time to hear what we have to say, what, what direction the Lord is leading us. And we thank you all who are here tonight, who came out, who braved the, the cold and the rain to be with us here tonight, to hear what does say the Lord. Amen. I want to take time out to um, just ask you to pray with us for our pastor and those that are missing. They are on um, R&R, rest and recovery. They are tucked away somewhere. Pray that they will enjoy themselves and come back ready to continue giving us the word. Amen? Amen. But tonight, we have to continue where they left off. Amen? Amen. And um, I'll just go straight into the word. Thank you, Brother Tom, for um, praying over our service tonight. I'll just go straight into the word. We're going to take a look at First Chronicles 12, 39 to 40. That's First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 39 to 40. And I'll read, then I'll give you the setting. And there they were with David three days, eating and drinking. For their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, they that were nigh them, even unto Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, brought bread and, this is donkeys, and on camels and on mules and on oxen and meat, meal, cakes of figs and bunches of raisins and wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly. For there was joy in Israel. There was joy in Israel. They had food. They, 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 they had everything. And this joy was because David was finally crowned king. If you, every one of us here at some point have um, heard something about David. David was, was um, anointed 13 years approximately before he actually um, became king. And he had to be running from King Saul most of the time. So here it is now, he became king after Saul's death. David waited on the Lord. He did wait. He could have killed um, Saul at some point, more than one times. But God, he... He was so in tune with God, um, he did not want to touch the Lord's anointing. That was his, his reason. God anointed Saul, so he would not touch the Lord's anointing. He, um, he waited patiently until God made him king over all Israel. David and his men celebrated for three days. He captured Jerusalem. You know, this was known as the city of David. 
And then his next assignment now was to go for the Ark of the Covenant. During the prophet Eli's time, um, Eli had two sons. And they weren't acting right. But at some point, they decided to go against the Philistine. And they took the Ark of the Covenant. You know, I don't know if any of you watch um, I Love Genie. You know, they just rub this little lamp. And whatever you ask the lamp for, it just pop out and whatever happens. So they went with the Ark representing God. But not in that way. They, they felt like they weren't living right. But they felt like just the presence of the ark in the midst of the battle would cause them to win. It didn't happen. The Philistine beat them, killed them, and took away the ark, took it back to their, their um, camp. But it did them no good. For seven months, they were, it was misery until they returned it to Israel at some point. So, this just shows you how much David loves God. And he loves to be in his presence. But in addition to that, he wants his people to be in the presence of God. Because it's one thing when, uh, you know, you have the ark and you have it somewhere where you can go and praise God. But he wanted it back in Jerusalem, in the midst of the people, so everybody could you know, experience the presence of God together. From the very first day as king, he planned to start leading the people the right way by following God. Isn't that good? He wanted to start with the ark and everybody just doing right, just experiencing God and, you know, moving from there. David wanted to make God central to the, the, the nation again. Even though he was king, he wanted the focus to be on God. You know, if he brought the ark here and, and they consult the priest, I mean, that is taking, some people would look at it as taking the shine, you know, um, from him. But he didn't care. This is what he wanted. He wanted the ark to be there the presence of God in their midst. He didn't want to be the, you know, the man there everybody is looking at. He recognized the importance of putting God first. He wanted the presence of God to be in the midst. So he also wanted to restore the ark of God, which was a great symbol of God's presence, glory, and deliverance. All right, so... Let's look at First Chronicles chapter 13, 1 to 5. I'll read it. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seems good in, unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather together unto us. 
And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that that would said that they would do so. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all, the, all Israel together from Shihar of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kerath-Jerim. Um, my Hebrew not right up there, so... <laughs> So, here, hear what is happening now. If you look back at the first verse I read, and David consulted the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. So he consulted his leaders. What about God? He consulted his leaders. You know, he had the mighty men with him. You know, he consulted them because... You know, they want when they're bringing back the ark. You know, you have these mighty men around them. Nothing can, um, you know, derail their plans. But he did not consult God. And it is God who commanded Moses to build an ark out of acacia wood in Exodus 25.10. God gave him the design and the purpose. The ark was designed with four rings, two on each side, and you had the, the pole to put through these, these um, rings, and that was used for transporting the ark, Exodus 25, 12 to 14. So it is God that set all of these in motion, gave Moses the blueprint, but yet still when David even though he had a good intention, when he was about to do it, in the planning stage, he did not consult God. Also, the Levites were commissioned to do the work in the tabernacle according to their specific tribe. God is so specific. Levi, uh, he is the what? Third son. He has three, three sons. And... Um, they are Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. None of you know it either. So, <laughs> so um, Kohath is the one that is designated to, um, you know, the tabernacle, the movement of the tabernacle. It is them that are responsible for moving the tabernacle. The others have different responsibility within the temple, but they specifically need to do that. And God is specific about um, everything. Here is a, a scripture, Numbers 7, 7 to 9. God gave wagons to the sons of Gershon and Merari to perform their duties. He gave them wagons with oxen to, to perform their service. Um, one, he gave two. Gershon, he gave two. And Merari, he gave 
eight, um, four wagons and eight oxen in, to perform their duty. But unto the son of Kohath, he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary belonged unto them, um, was that they should bear upon their shoulder. So whenever they move in the ark, it should be on their shoulder. They don't need the oxen to do this. This is in the word. They knew the word. They should have studied the word. But David counseled with his men. And according to what they said, the thing was right in the eyes of the people. It's, it's a big thing when we counsel outside of the word of God. And we come to the conclusion that it's right in the eyes of the people. And, and totally omit or ignore the word of God. Amen? And just another point here. The ark was abandoned during Saul's reign. You never heard anything about it. The ark was returned to Israel before. But um, Saul, he wasn't that interested in it. Okay, here's scriptures. Chronicle, um, First Chronicles 13.3 And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. David reminded the people that even though the ark was returned to Israel and sitting in Aminadab's home, Saul neglected to seek God's, to seek God's instruction. He never went after the ark. That wasn't his first priority. See the difference? David, as soon as they made him king, he went for the ark. He started preparing to get the ark because he wanted God's presence right there. But Saul, he reigned for 40 years. And no time did you hear that he sent for the ark and he, you know, the ark was there in a central place where everybody could, could worship. He didn't do that. The people had really fallen away from their God. No longer had they looked to God for the answer to their problems. Under King Saul's reign, the ark had become lost, desecrated, Irrelevant and abandoned. The ark, of, um, the ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. But the leader and the people didn't have that burden, that desire to get it, to, to get in the presence. So, you know, that's where it was at that time. But David now took over and David is... Changing up things. So let me ask you, is God central to your life? Are we promoting God wherever we go? Because sometimes when we look at these stories, we tend to think it's, it's only a story. You know, we tend to think that some of it isn't real and it, it isn't something that is... Um, that we should learn from or it's affecting us in a slightly different way but nevertheless it's affecting us so we should personalize some of these stories some of these things and you know ask ourselves those questions if we are not 
seeking God, we will do whatever is right and pleasing in our own eyes. We, the, the Bible talks about our heart, saying our heart is evil and desperately wicked. So if we're not seeking God all the time, we will allow things to creep into our thoughts and our, our action that, um, you know, we, we wouldn't even think about it normally. But, and, and also, you know, if we look back at that, we, we'll say, did I really do that? But yes, because we have to keep seeking God, seeking his presence, calling upon his name, and worshiping him. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And today, in a lot of places, we have pushed Jesus to the back burner. We, have, we are doing our own thing. And he's not as he should be, as prominent as he should be in our lives. Okay, let's look at carrying the ark of God. And this is um, verse 7. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Aminadab. And Uzzah and Iho drove the cart. So Aminadab... The, the ark was sitting in his house all the while. During Saul's reign, some of the experts have it that the ark came to Israel and was sitting idly for about 70 years. So here was Aminadab and his two sons, Uzzah and Aho. So because the ark was in their home for years, they probably felt that they... They should be the drivers, you know. They, they knew about the ark more than anybody else. So um, they placed the ark on a brand new cart to be pulled by two oxen while they sat in the driver's seat. So, you know, it's a new thing. They're doing a new thing now. New carts were more fashionable and more efficient. Considering the distance they had to travel to Jerusalem, why carry it on your shoulder when it could be placed on wheels and go much faster. This is a new thing. Those men might be struggling with the ark, you know, up the hill, down the hill. They have wheels. Those oxen with a cart is equivalent to probably a Bentley <laughs> right now. <laughs> this idea came from the Philistines years ago when they returned the ark to Israel. So, Years ago, when they um, took the ark in battle and realized that the ark only caused them destruction, so they sent it back over. But what they did, they got a new cart, and they, with two oxen, put the um, ark of the covenant on it and sent it back over to Israel. That's what they do. They, um, 70 years later, or however long later, they are the, um, the people of Israel, they are taking the ark back to a central location in, in Jerusalem, and they use the same method that the Philistine used. 
they know more about the ark than the Philistine. And they are copying what the Philistines did. The new ark, the, um, the, the, the new cart can be looked at in um, a few different ways. Have you noticed the new cart from some people is to stay home and catch the service online? That's a new thing. Catch the service online. Why attend service when you can watch it online? It is much easier and convenient to do so because you can watch the game at the same time. You know, it's, it's more convenient. It's a new thing. It's not the old thing that they were doing back then where, the, you know, one person had to, you know, hold each side. And no, they come with a new thing that they can move faster and, and, and um, do more things at the same time. David did the wrong thing initially, but the two sons... Uzzah and Eho were familiar with the ark because they were around it more often than anyone else. The ark stayed at their, their home. So they saw it, the ark stayed in their home for years. So they should have been experts at handling the ark. At least they should know enough to keep themselves and others alive because the ark you know, you, you don't want to do the wrong thing with the ark. It's going to cause some problems. We usually pick up some things from those who we, we hang around, right? They were hanging around the ark, and they didn't make the effort to know about it. You know, some people, they have been in church for a very long time, but they don't know the... They don't know God. Put it that way. A lot of them, they don't know God because they don't make that effort. They don't seek God. These two brothers, it seems as if that's the case with them. I mean, we're going to see later on what happened, why we could come to um, that conclusion. Okay, so let's look at verse 8. And David and all Israel um, played before God with all their might, and with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and with timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. So they were, this was a big thing. They were, you know, David, he really um, put his heart into this. And he got all the people out. The people were merry. You know, they weren't doing it right. But they were merry. They were going their way. Verse 9 says, And when they came onto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. 10. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. 
So the oxen stumbled on the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a hard surface where grains were separated. You know, the good part and the trash. And what they used to use is either something to beat it or um, the, the oxen, are, are, you know, they, they would walk on it and their, the, 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 the weight of their feet would pound it and, and it would separate the, um, the good part from the trash. So, isn't it, in some, um, a lot of time the Bible refers to uh, the threshing floor symbolically um, uh, in a way of judgment. A threshing floor is symbolical of judgment. Threshing out grain and separating it from the straw or chaff symbolizes a discriminating between good and apparent error in consciousness and letting go of error. So it is, I don't think this is any coincidence that as soon as he reached that place of judgment, he stumbled, the oxen. He probably slipped on the shine floor or something. But Uzzah, who was closer, pushed out his hand to steady the ark and he died instantly. All of these Israelites, they know that um, once a year, the high priest, and only the high priest, goes into the holies of holies to atone for their sin. He atones for his sin before, and he atones for their sin after. And if he's not right, he dies. They know that they could not touch the ark. They cannot even go into that space where the ark is so for him to stretch his hand and touch the ark he should have known better touching the ark is even doing worse than entering the holies it is as if he's touching God the Bible says no man can see God and live so that would stand to reason if you touch him (laughs) you won't live either The ark, of course, symbolizes the presence of God. Had they been worshiping the Lord the way they should have, they would have known the danger of doing what they had had done here. So if, if, if Uzzah and his brother, if they were worshiping God the way they should have, if they were seeking him the way they should have, they wouldn't have done this. Because this is a clear... Um, clear violation of the rules, the, 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 the laws that they should have been following. First Chronicle 15.15, it says, And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So they, they knew this. They should not have counseled among themselves. They should have gone into the word and that's where they should have um, taken their direction from. God wants the ark carried on the shoulders of the designated priests, much like one would carry a champion. 
That's God's way. It's a position of honor. He didn't want this thing on the, um, on the cart. So, you know, some people would look at it and they would say, but that's just a cart. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Do you remember? Um, let me give you this example. I hope he's watching. Our pastor loves um, um, Starbucks. And if you're going to give him coffee, and you give him some Dunkin' Donut coffee, being the nice pastor he is, he probably just smiles. He's not going to drink it, though. <laughs> You're not doing anything for him when you give him something that he doesn't want. You have to give him what he wants. If you're going to give somebody a gift, don't give them something else and say, they will understand. No, give them what they want, what they like. If you're going to follow God, sooner or later, you're going to have to take God on his own terms. You, you, you have to do that. It, you, can't, you can't do your own thing. Even when you don't understand them, do it his way. Even when it seems unfair, do it his way. God did not accept it their way. He will never accept it their way. God did not accept the new card Christianity, the new way to serve God without obeying the words from the Bible. The word of God is ignored and leaders come together to decide the best way outside of scripture. He's not going to accept that. And that is what they did. This type of Christianity, it requires no sacrifice. No real connection with God. It is one which everyone likes because it's easy. Whatever you do, you're still in. <laughs> one save, always save. That's a kind of um, Christianity. But just remember that Judas was one saved, right? <laughs> he was one saved, but he ended outside the will of God because of what he did. So that negates um, what I just said before. Things get done by their own effort, in their own way, and by their own means. This incident is an example of God, of people dis, um, disregarding God's instructions and doing what was right in their own eyes. You don't follow what God tells you. You reason it out among yourself. And you say, you know what? We're going this way. Because that was then. That was the old days. This is what we're going to do now. And that doesn't please God. God gave clear instruction about how the ark should have been carried. If God had compromised his holiness by overlooking Uzzah's and David's lack of care and respect, people could understandably conclude that his holiness was not that big of an issue and begin to treat God with disrespect in other ways. So he cannot compromise his holiness. He set a standard, and you have to do it that way. He's not going to come down to your level. 
by showing its seriousness, God sought to protect the people from making that destructive mistake. So even in this, we are learning. Because if he had allowed him to touch the ark and nothing happened, sooner or later a couple more would come and hold the ark. You know, a lot of things would happen. God expected the people to treat the ark with the greatest respect. In one incident, a number of... um, I don't understand this because in Beth Shemesh, when the Philistine brought back the ark to Israel, after those people sacrificed unto God, they got curious and they opened the ark. And 50,000 people died. Over 50,000 people died because they opened the ark. And you know those um, stories, they, they, they are passed down. They are, you know, go from generation to generation. So it's not as if no one knows. But here it is now. They felt like it was okay to touch the ark, to steady the ark from falling. Better they had left it for it to fall. The people who died at Beth Shemesh committed the sin of presumption. That's a behavior perceived as being arrogant, disrespectful, and transgressing the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. So that was what um, the people of Beth Shemesh they died because that they were um, perceived as as arrogant, disrespectful, and transgressing their limit. They, they, they passed the place. So here now, Uzzah did the same thing. He shouldn't have done it. He knew better. He shouldn't have done it. He was testing the limit. To mishandle, abuse, or violate the, the sanctity of the ark was a grievous sin. Second Samuel 6, 6 to 8. Even the Philistines, they didn't do it. They knew better. They didn't know as much about um, the law as the uh, Israelites, but they didn't open the ark. They had such a bad experience with it before. They just wanted to get get it away from them. They didn't do it, but Israel did it. So churches nowadays, instead of being subject to God's word, God's word has become subject to us. That's what is happening nowadays. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him in the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obedidom, the Gittite. The whole incident shook David. He was doing a good deed. He was doing something. It was good. But no matter how good it is, you have to do it according to God's way. Brother Calvin, when he preached on Wednesday, he said, um, God will understand. People talk about God will understand all the while. 
God understands everything. He knows everything. He sees everything. But he only... Obedience is what he's looking for. God will understand is is an excuse. (laughs) Amen. So we are at the conclusion right now. Moving along. Just about to land. (laughs) David's intention was good. And um, Uzzah's intention was good. Everybody, the mighty men, all who gathered together, their intention was good. Um, But God only honors obedience. So, when that thing frightened David in such a way that he didn't want to go back to Jerusalem with it, at least at the time, he set it in Obed-Edom's house. And I don't think he had a choice, but he knew how to handle the ark, the presence of God. So, um, the same hand that punished Uzzah's proud presumption, rewarded Obedidon's humble boldness. The difference was the, atti- <clears throat> sorry, the attitude. Uzzah was presumptuous while he tried to hold the ark. Um, but Obedidon was humble. He, he knew how to operate in the presence of God. He welcomed the presence of God. So it, it blessed him. But it, um, Uzzah died because he did not know how to um, operate in the presence of God. Have you ever seen a workman um, use his tape measure to measure a piece of stick and then use that stick to do the rest of measurements? I've seen it. What happens is, after a while, if you keep using that stick, you're going to, you're going to, little by little, you're going to end up having the wrong measurement. You should go back to that tape measure all the time to get the correct measurement. Sometimes it's a little more convenient for you, you to just measure a piece of stick and just have this piece of stick doing what you're doing. But, Oftentimes, it gets your measurement um, a little error, a little more here, a little less there. While if you use that tape measure all the while, you get the correct measurement. What they should have done is gone straight back to the Bible. You need to go back to the Bible, the original book where you get the instruction from each time. God would not compromise his holiness, but by overlooking Uzzah's presumptuous behavior, and he will not do it for us either. So if we are presumptuous in dealing with God's presence, the things of God, he will not spare us just as how he didn't spare Uzzah. And finally... Psalm 119, verse 89. 
it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. His word cannot change. It's the same thing. He gave instruction. It is there. It doesn't change by time. It is still there. It depends on whether we obey it or not. If we obey it, it works for us. If we disobey it, it works against us. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand tonight. Thank you for coming out and listening. I pray that we will invite the presence of God in our lives, in our home, especially in this, this season, especially approaching the new year. We need God in our lives. We need to start the new year right. The thing that David desired to do, to get to, to um, he just became king and he wanted to start with the presence of God. In the midst of his people. That's a, that's a good thing. He just did it. Um, he didn't do it the right way. We have information that we can look at. And we can see some of the mistakes that these people made. So we are privileged. Let us do it right. Let us invite the presence of God in our lives. The right way. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you tonight, Lord Jesus, for what you have allowed us to hear, what you have allowed us to go through, Lord Jesus. Lord, we don't want to be presumptuous before you. We invite your presence into our lives tonight, Lord Jesus. We invite your presence in our homes and wherever we are, O God. Lord Jesus, we pray your covering over us, O God. Put a hedge of protection over each and every one of us, over our family, Lord Jesus. I pray, O God, that you'd point us in the right direction, especially in this coming new year, O God. Lord Jesus, I thank you, O God, for sparing our lives throughout these times, O God. And I pray that you continue to cover us as we move forward into the new year, Lord Jesus. Lord, those that are sick among us, O God, I pray for healing in the name of Jesus. Cover them this evening, O God. Touch them, Lord Jesus. Let your healing virtue touch them and make them whole, O God. Comfort them wherever they are, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that they will be strong enough to return and call upon your name and worship with us. I pray, O oh God, that they will recognize that, Lord, your presence in the midst of us every time we gather together, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we honor you, we praise you, and we worship you, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will see you high and lifted up each time, O oh God. And I pray, O oh God, that we will make you bigger than any problems that we have. You told us to throw all our tears on you. And we will do that, Lord Jesus, while we call upon your name and worship you in spirit and in truth. Bless us this evening, O oh God. Go with us as we go to our different 
place of abode, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would cover us and keep us and have mercy upon us until we meet again, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good night. You are dismissed. In Jesus' name.